check test. What's going on, y'all? CC Larry Hernandez here. I'm going to be reading through First Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading the commentary on that. So up here on top is the Bible. I'm using the Amplified Bible, and down here is the commentary for that. All right, so let's. I'm going to go ahead and read the first part. Peter, an apostle, a special messenger, special messenger of Jesus Christ, writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion scattered, sowed abroad to in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who were chosen and foreknown by God the Father, and consecrated, sanctified, made holy by the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ the Messiah, and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace, spiritual blessing, and peace be given you in increasing abundance, that spiritual peace to be realized in and through Christ, freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflict. Wow. Alright, so the commentary starts with a customary salutation, verse 1 through 2. The introductory greeting is common is the common form of salutation used in first century, first century correspondence. Paul's letters usually began in the same manner, identifying both the author and those whom the letters were addressed. So the customary correspondence is they um, the author says who he is, and then it it says who the letter is addressed to so the identification of the author is Peter Peter is the Greek translation of the Aramaic Kephas the name Jesus gave Simon when he was called to be a disciple in John chapter 1 verse 42 nobody else in the New Testament could be identified as Peter Wow an apostle of Jesus Christ this bold statement of apostolic authority is supported both by internal evidence in the text and by its early and universal acceptance as a part of the canon of scripture. <sighs> bold statement, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter was the one that denied him. He denied him three times. He was the one that walked on water when Jesus told him to come to him on the water. This bold statement of apostolic authority is supported by internal evidence in the text and by its early and universal acceptance as part of the canon of scripture. Moving on, identified identification of the addressed. So who so identification of the people that it's written to. Peter immediately using a careful choice of words began to confront and encourage his readers. Confront and encourage. Christians are God's elect, not by choice or human design, but by God's sovereign, unconditional choice. Wow. God chose us. We didn't choose. Good. God's choice. Christians are God's elect. We're God's elect. Christians are God's elect, not by choice, by chance, or human design. Not by chance or human design but by God's sovereign, unconditional choice. Not by chance, by the roll of the dice or human design, 
but by God's sovereign, unconditional choice. <sighs> by God. <sighs> Once only the nation of Israel could claim this title. Once only the nation of Israel could claim this title. It is not surprising that those who have been chosen by God are seen as strangers in the world. As seen in chapter 2 verse 11, Christians whose citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20, live in the midst of a pagan society as aliens and sojourners, displaced persons whose thoughts should often turn toward their true home. <laughs> displaced persons, people that are displaced in this world, strangers. Christians whose citizenship is in heaven. All Christians, our citizenship is in heaven, live in the midst of a pagan society. Pagan. Let's look up that word. A person holding religious beliefs other than those of the main world religions. Uh, ruins of Burmia, the source pagan, heathen, infidel, idolater. Atheist, non-atheist, irreligious person. So basically something, a pagan society is a society that's contrary to God. Uh, according to the Bible, the Christian God, I believe. The readers were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bethania. Sprinkled like salt throughout the five of Asia Minor's Roman provinces. So the people that this is actually addressed to were scattered throughout these uh, Roman provinces. The letter was evidently meant to circulate among churches in this area, scattered. The word scattered had special meaning in Jewish to Jewish Christians in these churches. The, the diaspora, which is the, the word for scattered, the diaspora referred to Jews who were separated from their homeland Israel. I believe Peter adapted this word which previously described Israel to emphasize the condition of the early church. Further, Peter elaborated on the descriptive term God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. The foreknowledge of God. God's choice is part of his predetermined plan and is not based on any merit in those who are elected <laughs> but solely on his grace and love for them before their creation wow foreknowledge what's it say over here right here so to the the people that that he's addressing it to they were chosen and foreknown by God the father and consecrated by the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. God's choice is, is part of his predetermined plan. Predetermined, that's that means like the, the, the plan was already made, established and decided in advance. It's it's already it's prearranged, it's already set. God's choice is part of his predetermined plan. His choice to what? 
to, to choose those Christians to, to, to for those God's elect to choose the the people that are dressed in this letter is not based on any merit in those who are elected but solely on it on God his grace God's grace and love for them before before their creation before they were made they were elected As the Williams translation translation puts it, God's choosing is in accordance with or in keeping with his foreknowledge. God, so God's keeping his word of what he knows in accordance with his foreknowledge. This seems preferable to the view that election follows or is based on foreknowledge. Moreover, the word foreknowledge means more than a passive foresight. It contains the idea of having regard for or centering one's attention on. The same word is used in verse 20 of Christ who was chosen by the Father bef before creation. Same thing. The Father did more than merely know about His Son ahead of time. Ahead of time, bro. Ahead of time, like all before, before <sighs> he knew him completely. And thus, God chose all of those who, whom he focused his attention by his grace, not because of their merit, not because of what well, any. <sighs> the sanctifying work of the Spirit has set these chosen ones apart from service for service. For service bro service putting God's choice and purpose into effect through the chosen ones service the result of the spirit's work is obedience and sprinkling by his blood service obedience Obedience, hippokoin, from hippokouo, to hear under, to hearken, is man's responsibility to be submissive to God's word. Wow. When you're obedient, you're submissive to God's word. Submissive. Let's look up that word, submissive. Ready to confirm to the authority or will of others in this case to the authority and will of God's word <sighs> then why don't we read it if we need to be submissive to God's word is it, it's our responsibility man's responsibility to be submissive to God's word see Exodus 24:7 Romans chapter 1 verse 5, Romans chapter 15 verse 18, and Romans chapter 16 verse 26. <sighs> One living in obedience is constantly being cleansed by Christ's blood and is thus set apart from the world. Wow, how are people going to notice us? How will people notice if we're not responsible, we're not responsibly submissive to God's word? 
one living in obedience is constantly being cleansed with Christ's blood and is thus set apart from the world. The blood, the blood sprinkling is redolent of the Old Testament priestly work at the tabernacle. See these verses here, Leviticus 7, Leviticus 14, Leviticus 16, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 12, which required obedience. There's that word again. On the part of offerers. However, the only time people were sprinkled with blood was at the inauguration of the Mosaic Covenant. See Exodus 24, 28. In these words, First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Peter laid the theological foundations for this letter of encouragement. God the Father, in His grace, had chosen them, and God the Spirit, let me highlight these real quick. This is the, the the Trinity he's talking about here. Had sanctified them through the atoning blood of God's Son. Of God the Son. Jesus Christ. So God so the basic the, the basic theological foundation of, of verse two uh, for this letter of encouragement is God the Father in his grace had chosen them. And God the Spirit had sanctified them through the atoning blood of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctified. Let me look up that. That that means like holy, I believe. Sanctified, set apart as a as or declare holy, consecrate. Make holy, make sacred, hollow, set apart, dedicated to God. God the Father in his grace had chosen them. And God the Spirit had sanctified them through the atoning blood of God the Son. Atoning means to like pay for, make amends or reparations. <sighs> wow. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in this verse. Thus Peter greeted his readers with the prayerful wish that they might experience in abundance God's grace and peace. Wow. The words grace to you and peace be multiplied are also used in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. God's grace was dear to Peter for he referred to it 10 times in this epistle. See uh chapter 1 verse 2 chap chapter 1 verse 2 verse 10 verse 13 chapter 2 verse 19 to 20. And in two of those verses, uh, the word is uh, grace, I believe. Grace to you uh, is means commendable. See these other verses, chapter 3, 7, chapter 4, 10, chapter 5, 5, verse 10 and 12. Alright, so moving on. So from verses 3 through 2 through 10, Peter continued to present the theological basis for encouragement and persecution. Encouragement and persecution. The stress throughout this section is that God's grace toward believers evident, evident, uh, evidenced his sovereign call to salvation and its results in a believer's life. In the midst of trials, one's new birth is a source of living hope and a lifestyle of holiness. Wow, persecution, grace, salvation 
in the midst of trials one's new birth is the source so a new birth is the source of living hope and a lifestyle of holiness wow so further for verses 3 through 12 the new births living hope in a doxology of praise to God a doxology is basically like a like a structured form like of a song you see a liturgical formula of praise to God so like a like a, a type of song of praise to God Peter encourages readers by r reminding them that the new birth gave them a living hope there's that living hope again in an imperishable future inheritance imperishable like it it's not it's not going to fade <sighs> the inheritance is sure because believers are shielded by the power of God till it is ready to be revealed the inheritance is sure because believers are shielded by the power of God shielded by the power of God till it is ready to be revealed consequently Christians may rejoice even when they face trials trials since trials will prove their faith will prove their faith genuine and thus bring greater glory to Christ so when you face trials they prove your faith genuine and thus bring greater glory to Christ so greater glory not to yourself because you face the trials but greater glory to Christ finally the new birth's hope is based not only on a future inheritance but present blessings and present blessings but also on the written word of God wow so the new birth's hope is based on the written word of God present blessings and future and a future inheritance present blessings future inheritance and written word of God is what the new hope new births hope is based on wow so let me read I'm gonna read verse 3 through 5 praised honored blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah by his boundless mercy we have been born again to an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead born anew there's this I think that's where we get born again from born again believer born anew into an inheritance which is beyond the reach of change and decay unsullied and unfading reserved in heaven for you <sighs> reserved on earth no reserved in heaven for you an inheritance which is beyond the reach of change or decay imperishable unsullied unfading what's that word mean unsullied not spoiled or made impure <laughs> pure oh man 
who are being guarded, garrisoned by it. So born anew into the inheritance which is beyond the reach of change and decay, unsullied and unfading, reserved in heaven for you who are being guarded, garrisoned by God's power through your faith until you fully inherit the final salvation that is ready to be revealed for you in the last time. Wow, man, that that's the hope. I believe that's the hope. The troops stationed in a fortress or town defended a garrison. We're being guarded and garrisoned by God's power through our faith. We're being guarded by God's power through faith, salvation, faith, salvation. That is ready to be revealed for you in the last time. Wow, man. Let's read what the commentary says for verse 3 through 5. The contemplation of God's grace caused Peter to praise God. Wow. I, I think that's what I'm... I'm about to do right now. The contemplation of God's grace caused Peter to praise God, the author of salvation and the source of hope. <sighs> the author, man. The, the, the person that wrote the story, that wrote the book. The words, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, are identical in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. The phrase, in His great mercy. In His great mercy. By his boundless mercy, says in the Amplified Version, refers to God's unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. What the heck does unmerited mean? Look that word up. Unmerited means not, not deserved. His great mercy refers to God's favor that is it's undeserved. Like, we, dude, we don't deserve it, man. Undeserved towards sinners. Sinners don't deserve it. The phrase of his in his great mercy refers to God's undeserved favor towards sinners in their hopeless in their hopeless condition. He has given us new birth. People can do nothing to merit such a gift. People can do nothing to merit to merit to merit to deserve to, to see what merit merit is like a like a work. Like you, there's nothing you can do. The quality of being particularly good or worthy, especially so as to deserve praise or reward. We can't, we can't earn it. <laughs> we can't earn the gift of fa of God's unmerited favor, or 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 He has given us a new birth. People can deny it and to merit such a gift. So the new birth, we we can't earn it. These words, has given, new birth translates anagenesis from the verb beget again, or cause to be born again. There it is again, born again. 
It is used only twice in the New Testament, both times in this chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 23. Peter may have been recalling Jesus' interview with Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, verse 1 through 21, the new birth, again, there it is, results in living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Ooh. Bro. Oh. The living hope is based on the living, resurrected Christ. Living hope. Man, this, this thing is rich with... Oh man, it's just like all of this, just a few verses, man. The living hope is based on the living, resurrected Christ. See chapter 1, verse 21. The Christian's assurance in Christ is a certain and sure fact. Certain and sure. As the fact that Jesus, that Christ is alive. Peter used the word living six times in chapter 1, verse 3, verse 23, chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, and 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Here, living means that the believer's hope is sure, certain, and real. The believer's hope is sure, certain, and real. It's as opposed to the deceptive, empty, false hope the world offers, man. The sure hope is of a future inheritance. The same word is used in the Septuagint to, uh, to refer to Israel's promised possession of the land. Inheritance. Possession of the land. It was her possession granted to her as a gift from God. A Christian's inheritance cannot be destroyed by hostile forces. It will not spoil like overripened fruit or fade in color. Peter used three words, each beginning with the same letter and ending with the same syllable to describe in a cumulative fashion, this inheritance is prominence. The first word, afparton, the second word, amniaton, and the last word, amaraton. Hope I said those right. But the first word means can never perish. The second word, spoil. And the last word, fade. Peter used these three words at the beginning of each at the each beginning with the same letter and the same end with the same syllable to describe in a cumulative fashion this inheritance prominence it can never perish spoil or fade this inheritance is an indes is as indestructible as god's word indestructible it's as indestructible as god's word oh man god indestructible not able to be destroyed. <sighs> this inheritance is as indestructible as God's word. See First Peter chapter one verse twenty-three, where Peter again uses aftharton. Each Christian's inheritance of eternal life is kept in heaven, or kept watch on by God. 
so its ultimate position is secure. See Galatians 5 verse 5. Wow. Each Christian's inheritance, we have an inheritance as a Christian. Of eternal life. It's kept in heaven. Or kept watch on. By God. So its ultimate possession is secure. Thank you, Lord. Verse 5. Not only is the inheritance guarded. <laughs> not only that. What else is there? Not only is the inheritance guarded. But heirs who have been born into that inheritance are shielded. But. Wow. Dude. God. Grace, man. He started praising. Peter started praising God after r reading this to make grace and peace given you an increasing abundance. Wow. So back here, <laughs> verses 3 through 12, in a doxology of praise to God, Peter encouraged his readers by reminding them of the new birth give gave them by living hope in an imperishable future inheritance the inheritance is sure because believers are shielded by god's power till it is ready to be revealed consequently christians may rejoice even in the face of trials since trials will prove the genuine faith a doxology of praise to god he's praising god Not only is inheritance guarded, but heirs who have been born into that inheritance are shielded by God's power. Wow, shielded is a military term. Military. Like, not just <laughs> military. Used to refer to garrison within a city. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 uses the same Greek word. What greater hope could be given to those undergoing persecution than the knowledge of God's power? What greater hope could be given to those undergoing persecution than the, the knowledge that God's power guards them from within? To preserve them for an inheritance of salvation that will be completely revealed. Completely revealed. To them in God's presence. Believers possess salvation now. Present tense. But will sense its full significance at the return of Christ in the last time. <sighs> what greater hope could be given to those undergoing persecution than the knowledge of God's power the knowledge that God's power guards them from within to preserve them from an inheritance of salvation that will be completely revealed to them in God's presence this is only temporary man it's just for a moment Believers possess salvation now, but will sense its full significance at the return of Christ in the last time. This final step, or ultimate completion of the salvation of their souls, First Peter chapter one verse nine, will come when Jesus Christ is reveals is revealed. A clause Peter used twice 
in verses 7 and 13 of the same chapter. Wow. The present joy, verses 6 through 9. Let's read that. You should be exceedingly glad on this account, though now for a little while you may be distressed. by trials and suffer temptations wow so that your faith may be tested which is infinitely more precious than the perishable gold which is tested and purified by fire this proving of your faith is intended to redound to you redound to your praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ the Messiah the anointed one is revealed without having seen him Without having seen him, like you love him, though you do not even know, though you do not even now see him, you believe in him and exult and thrill with unexpressible and glorious triumph and heavenly joy. At the same time, you receive the result, outcome, consummation of your faith and salvation for your souls. Wow, man. This God's word is freaking awesome. The present joy. A living hope results in the present joy. Living hope. A living hope results in the present joy. It is in this likely refers to the truths mentioned in verses 3 through 5. Yep, I was just about to go back to that to figure out what the hope was. It's a new birth. God's salvation. Source of hope. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The living hope is based on the living resurrected Christ. Christians assurance in Christ is as certain and sure as the fact that Christ is alive. Peter used the word living. Living means that the believer's hope is sure, certain, and real as opposed to the deceptive, empty, false hope that the world offers. The sure hope is a future inheritance. The sure hope is a future inheritance. Oh man, it's so awesome. A living hope results in the present joy in this like. And this likely refers to the truth mentioned in verses 3 to 5. Peter encouraged his readers to put their knowledge into practice. Put their knowledge into practice. Their response to the tremendous theological truths taught so far should be that they would greatly rejoice. Knowledge alone cannot produce the great joy of experiential security and freedom from fear in the face of persecution. Wow! Knowledge alone cannot produce the great joy of experiential security and freedom from fear in the face of persecution. Dude, we gotta go through this. We gotta go through Persecution, so that we can exercise the knowledge that we have, that we can experience security and freedom from fear within that face within the face in the face of persecution. God's omnipotent 
there's that word I've seen that before omnipotent means having unlimited power able to do anything <sighs> unlimited power and able to do anything God's omnipotent sovereignty needs to be coupled with human responsibility it needs to be God's omnipotent sovereignty needs to be coupled with human responsibility Christians are responsible to respond in faith mm. Faith turns sound doctrine into sound practice. Faith acts on the content of theology and produces conduct that corresponds to that content. <sighs> man, this thing is too much for me, man. Fact, faith acts on the content of theology. And produces conduct that corresponds to that content. Faith makes theological security experiential. You have to experience it. Because the faith makes that theology. Makes theological security experiential. The Apostle John wrote. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Hmm. First John chapter five verse four. This kind of faith or live or living hope can enable believers to rejoice even when they are called on to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Wow. Peter stressed stressed that a Christian's joy is independent of his circumstances. Independent of his circumstances. James used the same two Greek words. Translated here, all kinds of trials, which is this word here and this word here. The, trial, uh, the trials themselves are seen as occasions for joy. Wow, James chapter 1 verse 2. Though trials may cause temporary grief, they cannot diminish that deep abiding joy which is rooted in one's living hope in Christ Jesus. Wow, these the, the people in this letter must have been going through trials. I want to see what the the purpose of this. I'm going back in this right here, the same commentary. So this epistle could be understood as a handbook written for ambassadors to a hostile and foreign land. So that these these people were scattered in the different provinces of Ro Roman provinces, which were a hostile foreign land. The author, knowing persecution would arise carefully prescribed conduct designed to bring honor to the one they represented wow the purpose then of first peter was to encourage christians to face persecution so that the true grace of jesus christ would be evidence in them this epistle gives a theology of practical exhortation exhortation and comfort for believers daily needs exhortation an address or communication emphatically urging someone to do something. Peter concretely linked doctrine with practice. Doctrine with practice. So the, 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 the knowledge and practice. The new birth gives a living hope to those in the midst of persecution. New conduct is prescribed because Christ endured unjust suffering 
new behavior is required to demonstrate the grace of God to an unbelieving and hostile world. Wow. And new responsibilities are placed on the leaders and members of the body of Christ since they should stand together as living stones against the onrushing tide of persecution. Those who read First Peter are encouraged to lift their eyes from present problems and trials and behold the vistas provided by an eternal persecution. I'm sorry, an eternal perspective. For though believers may for a while suffer griefs and trials, they wait for an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Wow. So back over here on uh, verse seven, I was the way I was I was reading that because he was talking about suffering. I was like, why is he saying this? And I, it says that they were scattered in the, in hostile Roman province, and hostile Roman provinces, and they they were it was they were gonna face persecution. So I think he it was a letter is part of the encouragement. Verse 7, these various trials, which seem to refer to persecution rather than life's normal problems, have two results. A, they refine and purify one's faith, much as gold is refined by fire when its dross is removed. And B, trials prove the reality of one's faith, stress deepens and strengthens a Christian's faith and lets its reality be displayed. These various trials, which seem to refer to persecution rather than life's normal problems, have two results. They refine and purify one's faith. Wow. So the various trials and persecution have two results. They refine and purify. Wow. So it's like you have to, we have to go through trials and persecution so that our faith will be refined and purified. As much as gold is refined in the fire when its dross is removed like... Don't try to, wow. Trials prove the reality of one's faith. Stress deepens and strengthens a Christian's faith and lets its reality be displayed. The, war, the word dokimazomeno, rendered prove genuine, means to test for the purpose of approving. To test for the purpose of approving. The trial of your faith used in James chapter 1 verse 3 and test in James chapter 1 verse 12. In addition to comparing faith to gold, Peter contrasted purified faith with purified gold. Faith is more precious, of greater worth than gold. Even refined gold, though it lasts a long time, eventually perishes. It will be valueless in the marketplace of eternity. But faith purchases an inheritance, wow, that can never perish. I read this the other day and I thought this was... Gold, which perish, eventually perishes, it will be valueless in the marketplace of eternity. Valueless in the marketplace of eternity. But faith... Purchases an inheritance that can never perish. Wow. 
Genuine faith is not only of ultimate value to its possessor, but it will also bring praise, glory, and honor to the one whose name Christians bear when he will return, when he is revealed, to claim them as his own. <sighs> praise, glory, and honor to the one whose name Christians bear. Genuine faith is not only an ultimate value of its possessor, but it is also it also brings praise. Praise, glory, and honor to the one whose name Christians bear when he will return to claim them as his own. Wow. Israel translates from uh, Apocalypse, which comes from Apocalypse. Uh, see verse uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and verse 12 in the comments on verse 13. Wow. In verse 8. So let's remind what verse 8 is. Verse 8 says, Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and exult and thrill with inexpressible and glorious, triumphant, heavenly joy. Here in the climax of the experiential joy that results from faith, God accomplished salvation through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So the focus of a believer's faith is not on abstract knowledge, but on a person's cri person of Christ. The apostle's warm heart overflowed as he spoke of the love and belief in Christ of those who, unlike himself, did not see Jesus when he walked on earth. Wow. Peter may have had in mind Jesus' words, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Yet, though Christians do not now see him like Peter, they love and believe in him and are also filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The verb agaliste are filled with joy was used in Peter by Peter in first Peter chapter one verse six, you greatly rejoice, and is used in chapter four verse thirteen. Wow, verse nine. At the same time you receive the result, outcome, consummation of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Believers can rejoice because they are receiving what was promised, namely salvation, the goal or culmination of faith. Wow. For those who love and believe in Jesus Christ, salvation is past. Salvation is past. He has given us new birth. Present is through faith are shielded by God's word and future is their inheritance. Wow. Past, present, and future verse 4 which will be revealed in the last time verse 5 and is the goal of your faith since each day brings believers closer to that final day they are now receiving it all of this in spite of persecution which deepens and demonstrates one's faith is certainly cause for inexpressible and glorious joy <sighs> wow believers can rejoice because they are receiving what was promised, namely salvation, the goal or culmination of faith. Oh, wow. Jesus was promised. The, that salvation was promised in Jesus in the Old Testament. 
For those who love and believe in Jesus Christ, salvation is past. He has given us new birth, present, through faith, are shielded by God's power, and future is their inheritance. Since each day brings believers closer to the final day, they are now receiving it. All of this in spite of persecution, which deepens and demonstrates one's faith, is certainly cause for inexpressible and glorious joy. <sighs> wow. Verses 10 through 12, the past revelation. The prophets, see, I, I knew that, I knew that the prophets who prophesied of the grace divine blessing which was intended for you searched and inquired earnestly about this salvation so I, I knew it Jesus was that was was the promised was the promised salvation through the prophets verse 10 they sought to find out to whom or when this was to come which the spirit of Christ working within them was indicating was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow them. Verse 12. It was then disclosed to them that the services they were rendering were not meant for themselves and their period of time, but for you. It is these very things which have now already been made known plainly to you by those who preach the good news, the gospel to you by the same Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In these things, the very angels long to look. Wow, angels long to look at the past revelation, verses 10 through 12. The living hope of the new birth springs out only from believers. Future inheritance and present experience, but only from their faith in God's written word. Peter iterated that faith is not based on mere writings of men, but on the word of God. Faith is not based on the writings of men, but on the word of God. Concerning this salvation, the prophets searched intently and with great care their own spirit-guided writings. They longed to participate in this salvation and coming period of grace and tried to discover the appointed time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. Wow! They wanted to, to see Christ. They wanted to see that salvation come. The prophets. They pondered how glorious the Messiah could be involved in suffering. Wow! Oh, man, imagine if you're a prophet preaching about Jesus. That, that his coming, you know, for salvation. Imagine, imagine you're thinking that he has to suffer. That Messiah that's coming has to suffer. Let me read this again. So the prophets, they were they were searched intently and with great care, their own spirit guided writings. They were concerning the prophets concerning salvation, which they wrote about salvation. They wrote about God, which with Jesus, which brought salvation. Right? They longed to participate in this salvation. They were wanting to see the Messiah and the coming period of grace, and tried to discover the appointed time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. 
They pondered how the glorious Messiah could be involved in suffering. Again, Peter echoed the teachings of Christ. See Matthew chapter 13 verse 17. And in 1 Peter first and in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 10 through 12, the apostle gave a practical illustration of the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. He clearly stated in chapter in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 through 21. The prophets did not fully understand all that the Holy Spirit had authored through them. Wow, man! They, and their book, and their books are in the Bible. The prophets did not fully understand all that the Holy Spirit had authored through them. Wow, that's amazing! It was the Spirit who predicted the sufferings of Christ. Let's see Isaiah, chapter fifty-three. Isaiah was one of the prophets. It was It was the spirit who predicted the sufferings of Christ in Isaiah chapter 53 and the glories that would follow in Isaiah chapter 11. And Isaiah the prophets did not fully understand all that the Holy Spirit had authored through them. Isaiah didn't fully understand what he was talking about when he was describing the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow in his book chapter 11 and chapter 53 wow Peter's readers would be encouraged by this reminder that Christ's suffering would f was followed by glory so Christ did suffer but it was followed by glory They too would experience glory after their, their suffering. Wow. The same way that Christ ex had glory after suffering, the Christians too, in this, in, that addressed in this letter, would experience glory after their suffering. See also First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Peter gave further encouragement in verse 12. Stating that the prophets understood they were not writing for themselves, but for those who would live at, live later. Dude, how how selfless selfless is that? The prophets understood that they were not writing for themselves, but for those who would la live later. Those who would hear the gospel proclaimed by the Holy Spirit, and consequently follow Christ. Thank you, God. In the ultimate stage of believers' salvation, they will experience glory, not suffering. Ultimate stage of believers' salvation, they will experience glory, not suffering. The writer of Hebrews also referred to this ultimate salvation in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 and Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. The reality of Christians' living hope was held in awe and wonder by the angelic hosts of heaven. <laughs> angelic hosts of heaven. The angels in heaven. Prophets and angels alike wondered about this salvation and the grace that was to come. The reality of, a Christ, of the Christian's living hope was held in awe and wonder by the angelic hosts. 
in heaven, prophets and angels alike wondered about this salvation in the grace that was to come. Wow. And we, and we, and look at what he says. It was then disclosed to them that the services rendering were not meant for themselves, but for the period of time. Plainly know that those who preach to God's Holy Spirit were sent from heaven. Right here, where is it at? Without having seen him, you love him. Though you did not even now see him, you believe in him and exult in thrill with inexpressible and glorious triumph and heavenly joy. <sighs> wow, man. Alright, so the next portion of scripture, verse 13 through chapter 2, verse 10, is uh, the new birth's holiness. Let me read this. The believer's living hope, based on their new birth, should lead to a lifestyle of holiness. A lifestyle of holiness, guys. Those chosen for new birth are also called to be holy. Peter exhorted his readers to prepare to meet the challenge of obedience by adapting a new mindset. The price paid for a believer's redemption calls for reverence and obedience. Obedience involves purifying oneself and practicing holy living while offering spiritual sacrifices as a royal priest. A royal priest. The new birth's holiness, so we're called, not called, but it says those chosen for a new birth are also called to be holy. Yeah, so we are called to be holy, to prepare to meet the challenges of the challenge of obedience by adopting a new mindset. Wow, a new mindset. The price paid for a believer's redemption calls for reverence and obedience. There's that word, reverence and obedience. Obedience involves purifying oneself and practice holy living while offering spiritual sacrifices as a royal priest. Wow, spiritual sacrifice. <sighs> the preparation, verse 13 through 16. So brace up your minds, be sober, circumspect, morally alert, set your hope holy and unchangeably on the grace, divine favor that is coming to you when Jesus Christ the Messiah is revealed. Live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that govern you that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel wow former ignorance but as the one who called you is holy you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Wow. So I'm going to read the commentary for that. Verse 13 through 16. Peter now gave five pointed exhortations. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope. Do not conform to evil desires. Be holy. Wow, five-pointed exhortations. Prepare your minds for action. One. Two, be controlled. Three, set your hope. Four, do not conform to eat to evil desires. Five, be holy. <sighs> Man. 
actually in the Greek the first second and fourth are part particle part participles in Greek the first second and fourth are participles which are subordinate to two commands have hope be holy the participles what the heck is participle I think that's like part of A word formed from a verb, an adjective gone. Participles are also used to make compound, compare. Participle. The thesaurus. Participle. I guess it's in Greek. It's a, it's part of a. a, a a verb or something having to do with with grammar so participle a word formed from a verb and used as an adjective or a noun in English participles are also used to make compound verb forms so I guess it's the participles are e either support the commands have hope with a prepared mind and self-control and be holy not conforming to evil desires or they take the role of commands, as in the NIV. So the first one, prepare your minds for action. Obedience is... Obedience is a conscious act of will. Christians in conflict need, to be need a tough-minded holiness that is ready for action. Wow. Get ready. Prepare your minds. Obedience is a conscious act of of the will. Christians in conflict need to be need a tough-minded holiness that is ready for action. A tough-minded holiness. Tough-minded. Strong, determined, and able to face up to reality. Wow. Reality. Be self-controlled. This word nephontis from the verb nepho be sober is used only figuratively in the New Testament. It means to be free from every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness or excess. Wow. Rather than being controlled by outside circumstances, believers should be directed from within. It means to be free from every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness or excess. Wow. Number three, set yourself, set your hope fully. First Peter chapter one, verse 13, holy living demands determination. A believer's hope is to be set perfectly, completely or unchangeably. And without reserve on the grace of to be bestowed when Jesus is revealed in revelation of Jesus Christ holy living demands perf perfectly and without reserve on the grace to be bestowed when Jesus is revealed 
Four times Peter has already spoken of the Savior's return and the accompanying ultimate stage of salvation. The strenuous mental preparation suggests by the three admonitions in verse 13 is needed so that Christians do not conform to the evil desires of their past sinful lives when they were ignorant to ignorant of God rather as obedient children they were to mold their characters to be holy in all they did their lifestyle was to reflect not their former ignorance but the holy nature of their heavenly father who gave them new birth and called them to be his own wow First Peter chapter 1 verse 15 through 16 do not speak of legal requirements but first Peter chapter first uh, Peter chapter 1 verse 15 to 16 do not speak of legal requirements but are a reminder of a Christian's responsibility in his inner life and outer walk though uh, though absolute holiness can never be achieved in this life all areas of life should be in the process of becoming completely conformed to God's perfect and holy will. <sighs> holiness can never be achieved in this life, absolute holiness. All areas of life should be in the process of becoming completely conformed to God's perfect and holy will. The quotation in verse 16 was familiar to all who knew the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 to 45, Leviticus 19, verse 2, Leviticus 20, verse 7. The high cost of salvation, so the price, verses um, 17 through 21, almost done here. And if you call upon him as your father who judges each one impartially according to what he does, then you should conduct yourselves with true reverence throughout the time of your temporary residence on the earth, whether long or short. You must know, recognize that you were redeemed, ransomed from the useless, fruitless way of living inherited by tradition from your forefathers, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. It is true that he was chosen and foreordained, destined and foreknown for it before the foundation of the world, but he was brought out to public view, made manifest in these last days at the end of time for the sake of you. Through him you believe in, adhere to, rely on God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him honor and glory so that your faith and hope are centered and rest in God. Wow. The high cost of salvation. The beloved son purchase precious blood calls for believers to live in reverent fear before God. Reverent fear before God. Holy living is motivated by a God-fearing faith which does not take lightly what was purchased at so great a price. Holy living in the face of persecution. Obedient children know the holy nature and 
Obedient children know the holy nature and just character of the one who judges impartially. Their right to call God Father leads to their obeying Him in reverent fear. So they are to live according to His absolute standards as strangers. Mm. To the world's shifting situational, <laughs> wow, situational ethics. So they are, they are, they are to live according to his absolute standards as strangers, aliens, as in chapter two, verse eleven. To the world's shifting situational ethics. Wow, reverential fear is the evidence by a tender conscience, a watchfulness against temptation. And avoiding things that would displease God. Wow, man, this is this is sound Christian doctrine right here, man. Children of obedience should also be strangers to their former empty way of life, handed down by their forebears, since they have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. The redemption is a purchasing from the marketplace of sin. A ransom not paid by silver or gold, which perish, but with priceless blood of a perfect lamb, Jesus. Similar to the sacrificial lambs, which were to be without defect, Christ was sinless, uniquely qualified as a lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. See John chapter 1 verse 29 and Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. Verses 20 through 21, this payment for sin was planned before the creation <laughs> planned before the creation of the world and revealed for people's sake through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Wow, man. Before the creation of the world. The present age in these last times, whereas the coming age is the last time, it is through Christ whom the Father resurrected and glorified in His ascension when He ascended into heaven. In John chapter 17 verse 5 and Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. And glorified in his ascension that people may come to know and tr trust in God. It is through Christ whom the Father resurrected and glorified in his ascension that people may come to know and trust in God. The good news. The good news man. It is through Christ, whom the Father resurrected and glorified in His ascension, that people may come to know and trust in God. As a result of God's eternal plan and priceless payment for sin, faith and hope can be placed in Him. Faith in First Peter chapter one verse five, seven and nine, and hope verses three through three and thirteen. Oh man, the purification. So I guess I'll read the rest of uh, the chapter 22 through 25, which would be the conclusion of this video up until 25. <sighs> Since by your obedience to the truth through the Holy Spirit, you have purified your hearts for the sincere affection of the brethren. See that you love one another fervently from a pure heart. <sighs> wow. You have been regenerated, born again, not from a mortal origin, seed, sperm, 
but from one that is immortal by the ever-living and lasting Word of God. Wow, by the lasting Word of God. <sighs> For all flesh, mankind is like grass, and all its glory honor like the flower of, the gra of grass. The grass withers and the flower drops off, but the Word of the Lord, divine instruction, the gospel, endures forever. And this word is the good news which was preached to you. <sighs> Let's wrap this up. The purification. Verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. The response of holy living that should result from the new birth is now applied in three areas. Obedience to the truth purifies and produces a, a sincere love for brethren. B. Repentance from sin. And see a desire for spiritual growth. Holy living demands purification. A positive result of obeying the truth is a purified life. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? Uh, as it says in Psalms 119 verse 9. As trials refine faith, so obedience to God's word refines character. Wow. How can we be how can we our character be refined if we don't if we're not if we don't read God's word in order to be obedient to it? One who has purified himself by living according to God's word has discovered the joy of obedience. A changed life should also be evidenced by a changed relationship with God's other children. A changed life should also be evidenced by a changed relationship with God's other children. A purified life allows one to love purely those who share the same faith. Purely, man. <sighs> the same faith. Sincere could also be rendered without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy, man. This is how we're supposed to love the brethren, the people in the church, the Christians, born again. All evil thoughts and feelings regarding one's brothers and sisters in Christ must be removed for his followers are to love deeply from the heart. This kind of loving can come only from a changed heart. Only from a changed heart. From one whose motives are pure and who seeks to give more than he takes. Whew, man, that's tough. This love is to be expressed not shallowly but deeply. At full stretch, in an all-out manner, with an intense strain, as in First Peter chapter four verse eight. Peter again reminded his readers that they had experienced the new birth. For you have been born again. The supernatural event made it possible for them to obey the truth, purifying themselves, and love the brethren. 
this change in their lives would not die because it took place through God's word which is imperishable the word in force 4 that described the believers inheritance living and enduring <sighs> this change in their inner lives would not die because God took because it took place through God's word which is imperishable living and enduring God's word is imperishable living and enduring so Athartal, the word in verse 4 that described a believer's inheritance, imperishable. Peter supported his exhortation in verse 22 by quoting Isaiah chapter 40 verses 6 through 8. Also see P, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 24 through 25. So... For all flesh mankind is like grass, and all its glory and honor like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower drops off, but the word of the Lord, divine instruction, the gospel, endures forever. And this word is the good news which is was preached to you. So Peter supported his exhortation by quoting Isaiah in those two verses. All that is born of perishable seed withers and falls, but God's word stands forever. And in the Amplified, it says that God's word is divine instruction, the gospel. This imperishable word was the content of Peter's preaching. His hearers must be affected by its life-changing power as indicated in chapters 2 verses 1 through 3. He must be affected by its life-changing power as indicated in chapters 2 verses 1 through 3. So be so chapter 2 verse 1. So be done with every trace of wickedness, depravity, malignity, and all deceit and insincerity, pretense, hypocrisy, and grudges, envy, jealousy, and slander, and evil speaking of every kind. Like newborn babies, you should crave thirst for earnestly desire the pure, unadulterated spiritual milk, that by it you may be nurtured and grow unto complete salvation. Since you have already tasted the goodness and kindness of the Lord. So chapter 2 verse 1. Repentance was called for. Therefore rid yourself. Peter then lists five sins of attitude and speech. Which if, uh, if harbored would drive wedges between believers. Wow. Malice is wicked ill will. Deceit is deliberate. Dishonesty. Hypocrisy. Pretended piety. And love, envy, resentful discontent, and slander, backbiting lies. None of these should have any place in those who are born again. Wow. Rather, in obedience to the word, believers are to make decisive breaks with the past. Peter wanted his readers to be as eager for the nourishment of the word as babes are for milk. After believers cast out impure desires and motives, they then need to feed on wholesome spiritual food that produces growth. Pure is deliberately contrasted with deceit in verse 1. God's word does not deceive, neither should God's children. Wow. Christians should approach the word with clean hearts and minds. 
in eager anticipation with a desire to grow spiritually. The words in your salvation recall the ultimate fulfillment of salvation spoken in chapter 1 verse 5, 7, 9 and, ch- and verse 13. Chapter uh, sorry, chapter 1 verses 5, verse 7, verse 9 and verse 13. In uh, the third verse of chapter 2, which says, Since you have already tasted the goodness and kindness of the Lord. Quoting Psalm 34, 8, Peter continued the milk analogy used in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, and likened their present knowledge of Christ to tasting. They had taken a sample, having experienced God's grace in their new birth, and had found that indeed the Lord is good. Oh, that's it for me, you guys. Uh, thanks a lot for watching these videos. Um, if you find this helpful, leave a comment or whatever. Leave a uh, whatever you think. Let me know what you think in the comments down below. And uh, thank you for watching. Any questions or comments? Uh, I'll leave link to the commentary that I'm reading out of in the description um, so click on that link check out which commentary I'm reading and also the Bible version that I'm reading as well and um, support links donate links all those links are down there if you want to help support this page thanks a lot for watching Bye.